Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. All right, folks, thank you again for tuning in to another Bucks of America podcast. This is your host, Jeff Vance, coming at you. Today, I have a unique guest that uh, is a specialty in custom fishing rods based out of Minnesota. His name's Joe Bricko, and he's very nice, and it's like I'm looking forward to having this conversation. So earlier when you and I were talking, Joe, it's like you asked me like what got me into this whole my whole outdoor atmosphere because several years ago, back in 2014, 2015, I was looking for a new challenge. I got bored with regular gun hunting, so I wanted to get into bow hunting. So I started listening to Joe Rogan's podcast, John Dudley's podcast, and looking at different influences to get me where I want to be. And so that's what started me on the road for getting into archery and like, taking it seriously. And then it's like I decided like wh- I want to see what I could do to get into the outdoor industry, but actually not working for somebody. So I figured like there's got to be a way to do it. And like when I met my uh, future wife here a few years ago, I thought podcasting would be a good way to get into it. Plus, it's like by that time, I already had some contacts inside the industry doing their own thing, like making peeps, uh, making specific rigs for um, arch- archery, making their own uh, baits and stuff like that. But I've always been a fisherman at heart. But it's only been the last year, two years or so that I've really like wanted to get more into fishing. And so it's like, I know how to catch fish and all that fun stuff, but I want to get more technical about it. And we being tied to the Bucks of America brand, which is a clothing brand that started here back in 2011. And it's just blossomed into this uh, retailer of different materials and different hats and, and hoodies and shirts and stuff like that. And then it's like, this just kind of goes along with that brand. But we also cater to salt life fishing and then also um, freshwater fishing too. So it's like, it's kind of nice to to open everything all up to, to what our brand sells, even though we're, we're, we're founded on, uh, whitetail hunting because it's in majority of the states, of the United States. I just wanted to open up thing because it's like I don't speak to, I don't have a higher up, I don't have anybody that's telling me what I can and cannot say. So it's like I want to take this out and try different things. And like when I came across like all these different rod companies like popping up in my Facebook feed, it's like, well, I'm gonna throw this out there and see. If anybody knows any experts in the the rod field, and it's like I taught Jason Brennick from PC Fun uh, Fishing, he mentioned your name. So it's like, well, I'll meet, I'll hit you up, and I hit up everybody else that's on my list. So I got other, I have more podcasts coming out all along around around fishing. So I'm pretty excited about. It. So that's where I'm at with this. Give us a little bit of information about you, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jeff. I really really appreciate the the opportunity to kind of talk about um, my company, PT Outdoor Products, and little bit of uh, my background and and some of some of my passions so a real pleasure but uh, JT Outdoor Products was uh, started in uh, in in 2014 but really the roots of the company were was really long long before that Um, really started in in college for me and that was back uh, from 2000 to 2005 I was uh, going out to college in uh, North Dakota actually in North North Dakota State uh, which is just a absolute sportsman's uh, paradise I was doing a bit of everything in that time. I was doing some, some guiding for, for hunting actually and uh, doing a lot of fishing year round. And at time on my hands, so I was really, really doing a bit of everything. But, uh, that's really where the company started because I was, I was messing with, uh, with the product that we carry now. It's actually called, called the hot box, which is JT Outdoor Products, very first product. And 
Uh, it's, it's basically to not get too deep into that product. It's a, it's a heated, it's a heated tip up, um, runs on a one, one pound propane cylinder, uh, keeps the hole open, tested down to minus, minus 30. North Dakota is pretty cold. So it was a great, uh, it was a great testing ground, uh, for that product. So in college, I just was messing with it, uh, just for my own personal interest. And my network of friends were like, man, someday you got to bring that to market. This thing's an absolute, you know, home run. Uh, back then it was made out of the garage. It was like wood and some different types of things kind of, kind of hodgepodge together. You know, now it's, now it's refined and, um, looks pretty and uh, is made out of aircraft aluminum. Um, but that, that's really got what got me started. So I was running through prototypes in college and just, uh, fishing in North Dakota and utilizing this product and just, you know, killing, killing the fish on this. Cause I was the only guy that, you know, could keep the hole open, you know, and spread out lines in North Dakota. You can have four lines. Wow. That's so, a lot. Uh, yeah. So we were utilizing this product and, you know, everyone else was sitting with one jig rod in hand and, you know, we had, we had three of these spread out plus a jig rod. So we were consistently putting more fish on the ice than, than everybody around us. And, you know, that, that started to grow a little bit that I had this, this cool product that helped you catch more fish. And that really became the foundation of, of, of what we are. It's really designing products, whether it's that product called the hot box or my fishing rod. It's all about, um, giving anglers an advantage. It's a higher end product and we're, we spend a lot of time in development to, to really create a, a technique specific, um, rod or a, or a unique, like with that, with that hot box. And it's all geared around helping people be more successful. So that's a little bit of the backstory on, on how JT started. And, um, really it just escalated from there. Started with that one product and now we have a whole line of ice rods, a whole line of summer rods. We got clothing and hats and accessories and we have. We have a lot of, lot of SKUs, 400 plus SKUs now in, since 2014. That's impressive because I saw that you started the hot box back in the nineties. And so you said you went to NDSU. Did you go to, did you, were you an engineer at going through school? Uh, I started out in engineering, kind of funny story there, but, uh, that, that, uh, program required me to be in class Monday through Friday. And that, that really, that really hurt my hunting and fishing career. <laughs> so I switched over to, uh, to business actually and was able to finagle a real long days on Tuesdays and Thursdays and still maintain enough credits to, to graduate on time. So I switched to business and then I, uh, I kind of ran around with, with, uh, without a whole lot of strings attached on the other days. Uh, you know, for example, on a, on Thursday nights when I was done with class in the winter, I'd cruise over to my fish house on, on upper red at that time that the crappie bite was was going it was at the peak of that thing and i would leave on a thursday and come back on a monday and during hunting season i would i would take off on a thursday and come back mondays or even maybe skip a day and have a have a whole week off so <laughs> i i i did i did i did switch my degrees so i could hunt and fish more so uh, to this day my parents still say yeah joe Joe got a degree in hunting and fishing. I, I'm not sure if they know exactly what I ended up with, but um, it worked out. Um, you know, business has, has led me to uh, to a lot of great things. So it was it was a good fit for me. Uh, still a great degree from there, but it is known as an engineering school. Uh, my brother graduated from there before me uh, as a mechanical engineer and has done done very well in his careers coming out of there with uh, with an engineering degree. So. That's awesome. Uh, when I lived in Arizona, it's like I didn't know where it would be like right now 20 years ago, 
when I was in college, it's like if I was thinking back then, it's like I would save my money, bought a lifetime uh, license, a hunting license out there, fishing license out there, this way. I can always get nice points. And it's like when I was in college in the early 2000s, all I was doing is like, he's like, I was going to school, I was playing paintball. So it's like, that's my, my pride. That's like one of my pride and joys. Like I've spent, I think I'm coming up on my 23rd year and playing paintball. So it's like, that's, that's my expert. It's like, I put my 10,000 hours in there. It's like, I know what goes on in that world and I still pay attention to like growing, ex- being there through all the transitions and then all the different technologies. I get it, man. It's, it's, it's like, I spent a lot of time doing that. It's like, but that was only on the weekends. So Monday through Friday was just straight up, just always going to school and working. And then when I moved back here in 2009, right at the peak of the, uh, uh, the first the cyclical uh, recession that went on that during that time when the the, the bubble bust, and so I came back up north. And so far, it's like then it's like I stumbled around for a couple of years. Then it's like then I figured I was like I really like being in the outdoors. Like what can I do to be in the outdoors to either like pay for my hobby or meet really cool people to go out and fish and hunt with. So that's where I'm at right now. So it's like I've been enjoying the ride here. So it's like. It's it's amazing when you when you finally become find that passion. It's like I wish I would have saved so much more money if I would have just re organize myself but i use my using my degree for social um media um, engineering e-commerce flight so i'm thinking i take some take some of the stimulus money and uh actually reinvest into the podcast and open up a, a, a e-store for shopify I've, the guy that runs the uh bucks Amer- owns the bucks of america he's a genius when it comes down to e-commerce i mean this guy has anywhere between three to four hundred e- e-stores makes i think he is in the tens of millions of dollars a year now for what it is. He actually, because of his know-how, has established a school for it. So it's like he offers the people, his longtime friends, deals. Like if you need click funnels, if you need specialized training and something like that, you pay for it. But it's like that experience will will just make you money. And he has a program that can just ch- make you, get you in between ten to 15000 a month if you follow down to a T and it's of course doing market research and he's nice thing is he's got the expertise so it's like you can buy one product and he'll teach you how to market it and that's just a fantastic way of doing it it's like and it's it's a this um this uh, control virus that's going on right now it's like it's really allowing me to figure out what what's going on it's like how is everything going for you with this whole corona situation yeah it's um it's a common question i, I feel like i i talk about it daily but i i think i think everybody you know, is in the in the same boat that way where, you know, it's it's the most talked about thing that that's happening because it's it's affecting the whole world. I mean, it's the only time really in my life where where we see something that's affecting the the whole the whole world. So, um, for me personally, um, really, I've been I've been fairly sheltered from from negative impacts of this, and I think that's just because of of the the line the line of work that I'm in. So by day, um, I'm the director of sales at a company called Range Systems, and we build uh, we build shooting ranges. So we do a lot of work for the U.S. Special Forces, a lot of law enforcement work. Uh, we build um, commercial ranges. Uh, a lot of people would recognize our work at uh, Gander Mountain. We did all the Gander Mountain ranges. Um, we do uh, work overseas, so we we install and we manufacture and install our products, you know, all over the world. What happens during times like this is um, gun sales go off the chart. Uh, people, when they get fearful, they buy guns and ammo. It's just it's what it's what drives that that particular um, industry. And 
once those dollars start to flow, it naturally helps our business because of a lot of a lot of those sales, finances, uh, range equipment, especially in the commercial world, these gun shops have done. I mean, literally in a, in a month's time, they've, they've done, they've met their, their typical yearly sales goals. So, um, they're sitting on some cash. So with that, they're, they're calling us and they're looking to, they're looking to add a range to their, to their gun shop. Um, the military too, it's, uh, there's, there's been positive, uh, impacts because of COVID there, because a lot of, uh, with the freeze up, there's not as much travel. So some of those dollars are being, um, shifted over into, uh, capital improvement projects and that falls into different training facilities. So, um, I would say that we're, we're, we're busier now with the, with the virus hitting and then translating that over to, uh, the, the fishing rod business. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of data that shows that, um, during times of, of crisis like this, uh, people invest in, in outdoor equipment and fishing rods in, in particular. I was having a, a conference call, uh, a couple of days ago and there was a, there's a real predominant company that, uh, uh, had record sales in low end combos. And that's like, uh, that's like a, a 20 year, uh, running, running data on that. So, um, not not all not all segments are down. Um, I'm just uh, lucky and fortunate enough to be in in two different types of, of industries where there's there's an uptick from this. That is that is a good point. See, that's why I like where I'm at right now because I have the the podcast and then I have the social media platforms. But a, a company I work for works for the military, so it's like our doors haven't shut down. And then right now we're, we're works with different organizations within the government to help out with the situation here. And it's like, it would, it's been basically recession proof for us and it's been great. And the, the company is just massive because we're global and something like 350,000 employees. So it's like, it's been very, been very blessed with the situation we've been in and saying, plus it's like being outside, being fishing. Cause right now we got Turkey season going on. We got bear coming up. Uh, the, the, it's it's now post spawn for the the walleye, which I'm pretty excited about. It's just it's like it's a good time to be outdoors, and then for those that uh, need to put food on the table, it's a good way to do so, especially with the with all the water ways being opened up. No more ice out there; it's warming up. Gas is dirt cheap. It just gotta depends on what state you're in to depend if you're having a conversation with the DNR or not. Yeah, and I, I think as Americans, we we've kind of fallen into the into the rut of just taking on too much and, and it doesn't, it doesn't leave a whole lot of time, you know, for the outdoors. So trying to look at the silver linings of the, of this mess and, you know, it's, it's hard to see a, a lot of good in this, in this COVID situation. But, um, I think, I think we started to get into a habit as a country of just, of just running ourselves from, from task to task to task and not, not leaving time for, for the outdoors. So, I think some of the upside to this thing, if there is any, would be a kind of a kind of a step back and, and a kind of a reset. And I think it, it made a lot of people, you know, realize, you know, how important getting, you know, getting kids or getting getting out outdoors with other family members really is. And I think that there's a there's an investment into equipment uh, because of this little bit of a, a reset. So uh, maybe it will maybe people stop to, to realize that. You know they they need to focus on those kind of things and they need to need to make time for it. Hundred percent agree with that, and and uh, that's what I like about it. This this because we've what's going on with the situation here is like globally, it's like we've seen the uh, 
a decrease in pollution. Uh, fish are starting to come back in Italy. I mean, the waterways are looking good. I mean, there's certain areas that are having uh, predators starting to show up. I got in California because of the less traffic. Bears are starting to wander into places where they shouldn't be. Bigger cats are supposed to be wa- or wandering into different areas. So it's like they don't have that. Like, it's amazing what kind of impact traffic has on predators when it comes down to them waking up or, or kind of deflecting them from staying outside the cities and stuff like that. I was listening to a podcast here a couple of years ago with Dan Flores. He's really uh, knows his stuff when it comes to the coyotes. And he talks about how uh, dogs used to run in the 1800s to around, around town. And what they did is they kept the coyotes out and the wolves out. Then it was like in 1880-something in Boston when somebody got bit and then they started the dog pound and all that other fun stuff. And then it's like now it's like we – like when I lived in Phoenix and when I lived in, in, in Scottsdale – wasn't uncommon to see coyotes in town and because there's nothing there to, to, to keep them out and they knew nothing was going to happen to them. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to be a unique dynamic with all that whole thing here. But, um, now did yeah, you, it's, uh, it's crazy to understand just all the impacts because they're, they're way, mm-hmm. way too great for, you know, one person to even comprehend. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it certainly had a, had a huge impact. Um, you know, I just, I always try to look for, for good and things and it's, it's hard to see right now, but, you know, if there, 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 there is a few. Nice thing is the kids are going to look back on this and they're going to appreciate the time they had. Otherwise, we'd be bad. People that are now currently laid off, they'll be working 40, 60 hours a week, depending on what field you're in. And it's like these kids, when they hit 2030 and 2035, they're going to remember this time and they're going to appreciate what was going on. They're going to appreciate being in with home with their family because that's all they're going to know about. Because they're not they're not feeling the the strangle that we're going through, so I think it's going to have a really positive impact on the youth. But for for us, for the um, elder millennials, you want to call some of us, is that uh, it's going to really bring in like a time to figure out like what you're truly passionate about, and it's like is there going to be a job? Because some places when they come back, when things when the light switch turns back on, people are still going to be out without out of work, and it's like this time is an opportunity to to learn what they're really good at and become passionate about. Now. I've been to the one here and the, been to a couple of Gander Mountains and, and gone to your guys's um, setups for the uh, for gun range. Now, did you guys do the one in Rochester at Coyote Creek? Uh, we did not. I, um, I'm, I'm aware of it. Um, we we actually were were engaged with uh, him early on and um, uh, ended up not being able to pull off the project and then kind of lost lost sight of it. But um, no, we we do have ranges in Minnesota, but that is not uh, that's not one of our facilities. I was going to pay some compliments if that was because it, it is a nicely um, designed setup uh, range. And what's what? And like when I was watching your videos that you sent me about the your, the range company, is that it's pretty neat and like how much you go through and how you break everything down, the engineering to it. It's like how did you get yourself into that line of work? I mean, that's just something that doesn't fall <laughs> off the truck. No, it doesn't, and I'm 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 pretty blessed. I got to be honest. Uh, uh, it was actually through a college roommate of mine out in uh, out in North Dakota, and uh, he was in the military and and spent some time in the in the Air National Guard, and um, came back from 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 duty actually, and just, well, was looking randomly through through Craigslist and saw an ad for a company that builds shooting ranges, and thought, boy. I, you know, I got a background. I got a lot of experience with, with firearms. I got the military background. I see they do some military stuff. And he ended up uh, getting hired as a project manager. And he spent uh, about eight years there before he he reached out to me. And uh, he kind of he kind of knew my skills and, and ability from from being uh, in college together and 
randomly one day reached out and said, Hey, we're, we're looking for another project manager here at uh, range systems. And I'm like, well, what the heck is range systems? <laughs> it's like, Oh, we do X, Y, and Z. I, I'd lost touch with them for a little bit actually. And uh, I wasn't looking for a job at all uh, when he called. It was mm-hmm. actually the last thing on my mind. I was a custom home builder at the time and we made it through, uh, uh, the, the, the bust of, of 08 and, um, actually did quite well through that. Uh, a lot of builders went under, but we, we adapted and, uh, switched over from home building to, uh, doing, uh, remodels and additions and things. Cause, you know, the bust forced people to stay in their homes and not, you know, build new ones. So we, we kind of adapted and did well and we we're coming out of that and, and, um, had a, had a, had a good crew of people and, uh, you know, a steady pipeline of work when he called. And, more so curious. I just went in there and thought, ah, I'm not going to take this job, but you know, it's kind of interesting. I'd like to just kind of go see what the heck this place is and what they're yeah. about. Yeah. You know, they manufacture a ballistic rubber panel. I just, I kind of want to get eyes on it. Not that I'm going to take this job. I'm, I'm doing well with my own family business here. And, um, went up there and had a conversation and got invited back for another one, stayed kind of curious about it and, uh, went through, uh, Went through a lot of work with them actually in the, in the interviewing process. Ended up being four rounds of interviews and personality profiles, and uh, it was pretty pretty extensive for a for a smaller type of company. But uh, just through all of that, it, I just kind of kept my my interest. And um, once all that stuff was done, I got a call, and uh, the president at the time said, "Well, we're uh, we're not going to hire you for the PM position." And I thought, "Oh, okay, that that's fine." You know, I wasn't really looking for a job anyway and he said but we want to offer you a position in sales i thought oh okay yeah that's that's interesting um so i ended up taking a sales job there and um been fortunate enough to work through the ranks of the company and um now i'm a director of sales and oversees i oversee all the sales uh throughout the world now that's pretty impressive. Congratulations, man. It's like that hard work Thank and, you. and the, the, the networking is where it's all at. And that's what I've always been good at is networking. And so it's like, that's what, uh, drove me into this, uh, whole podcasting world. You know, when, when 2008 hit down in Phoenix in the Southwest, I mean, that decimated everybody. And so it's like, I was out of a job and like, I ended up going homeless for about nine months, eight, no, eight months. And so it was middle of July and I decided to, to, um, like I didn't want to come back to the Midwest because everybody was hurting, so I decided to go hitchhiking. So that's where I started. So I, so I started in middle of July, in two thousand and eight, and I decided to just to hit the road and I made my way all the way up north and ended up doing pretty much practically the tour of the the highway system of nineteen eleven. Like they toured from Arizona all the way up through New Mexico and and Colorado and Wyoming and all the way across to Coeur d'Alene and all the way up to uh, Seattle and like I saw all that country, man. It's like it was just awesome. It was just fantastic. And I, and I, I still got some of the phone numbers from that trip that uh, to give them praise for helping me along. It's like and it was just a, a fantastic experience to say the least. And it's like. It's a little different because I'm a dude, but I'm also like six foot two, like 200 pounds. It's like not many people are going to be, I have to worry about being threatened, but like, it's like, it's, I had to be very creative in how to get rides from point A to point B. And it's (laughs) like, it's, it was, it was fun though. It was like, I got to, when I was in one of the, it was, there's a town in Colorado called Blanco and I got there at dusk and it's like, son of a gun, I'm not going to get out of here 
until the morning. So I sat in the middle of town, did not sleep at all, but I was sitting right next to a bar that had closed when I, or it was a uh, business or something that was closed down, but I was sitting there and just listening on my phone because like I had a cheap little phone or whatever and listen to music and I look up and here's a white wolf right in front of me. It's like, dude, that freaked me out. And then short, or no, it was a coyote. It's coyote first. And shortly then after, there was a white wolf, and it's like, and it's like I heard a bunch of dogs barking, and I knew something was around the area, like because these dogs would not shut up, and the town only had like maybe twenty people at that. It's a very, very, very small town. Sure enough, I look up, and it's like it's it scared me. I'll never forget that sight. But it's it's like learning from that, and then like I met um, a gentleman in in Oregon who's like I asked him like different things about like because he was part of I don't remember what tribe he was part of, but um, I was I was asking what his um, symbolism was of these types of animals and his culture and something. It was a good conversation and stuff. His name's Wallace. Nice guy. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. I don't know if he's still alive because the time he retired. So who knows where he's at at this point in time. But, you know, it's like I can, like, that's what I went through 10 years ago. And now it's like, here we are today. It's like I just kind of use that experience to line myself up with something that deals with um, the services of the country. Because I know it's like when you deal with the military, you're never out of work. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the U.S. is always going to invest heavily in our in our forces, which I'm very thankful for. And, um, you know, it's a good thing to be a part of. I mean, I, I have a lot of pride in that. I, I know that the facilities that I, I help design and engineer with, uh, we do a lot of work with the uh, Army Corps of Engineer and, and Design, and I get to influence that. And I know that a lot of the stuff that I deliver is is helping um, helping our troops be more prepared and so it's um it's rewarding. That's awesome. So you you start with Hotbox and that puts you kind of on the map. So then what brought you into custom rods? Yeah, and that's uh that's where I'd say the story actually gets real good and it's a story I think I've told uh, probably a couple thousand times but <laughs> it is an interesting one and you know everybody talks about the the lucky break. You got to when you start a business if you don't get that lucky break you you know you're you're probably you're probably not going to make it. So you know, most, uh, most new businesses fail within the, within the first year and, uh, the next percentage fail after, after year two. So, um, you know, really you, you, you do need that break. And, and that, that did happen for me. Um, so in, in college, I started, you know, really watching, uh, tournament fishing, specifically, uh, walleye tournaments. And at that time, it was the, it was transitioning from the pro walleye tour over to the FLW and then, uh, now it's known as the, as the national walleye tour, but uh, one of the most predominant names and kind of all of, all of walleye fishing would be a, would be a guy named Gary Parsons. Um, pretty much a household name. When you look at walleye fishing, you know, a lot of people, people think of, think of him. He's the, he's a hall of fame angler and always a guy I looked up to. I, I had never met him in college, but would follow anything that he would put out just because of, um, the amount of, of winnings that he had. Uh, him and his partner Keith Gavias, you know, combined have won more than anybody in the walleye world that exists today. And um always kind of idolize those guys. And this is where the story gets gets pretty good actually. So we were I put together the hot box. We with my dad's help who's an engineer finally refined it enough that we could, you know, manufacture it and, you know, have it look decent. And um it was year one, 20, 2014 and uh, we were scrambling to to get some together just in time for a show in uh in Milwaukee. It was uh it was a 
one of the one of the ice shows that that existed then there was a there was a whole series of them they went from St. Paul to Milwaukee to to a couple other others um some of them we still attend Milwaukee is is not uh, a show that exists anymore but um it was the first show I had and we went out there and uh we weren't all that prepared to be honest it was it was kind of thrown together and we were we were a little bit of a of a mess actually and I was throwing everything together and trying to put together this makeshift backdrop that was, you know, looked pretty much handmade and not real professional, but we just wanted to give it a shot. And we just kind of, my dad and I said, let's, let's just go see what happens. Who knows? Maybe something good will happen. We're not prepared. It's not polished, but let's just get our product out there. You know, we don't even have to sell any, if we can just kind of, you know, start getting on the map, you got to start somewhere. So I'm, scrambling around uh first day of the show it's just about to open and um trying to get my 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 first uh product set up there um putting the pieces together and i look up and there stands gary parsons about a foot away from our table and he he looks at me and says you don't know what you got there do you and i said well yeah yeah and i had the i had the whole spiel down i had been rehearsing it for weeks leading up to this and no, it's a heated ice fishing system. It runs on a one pound propane cylinder and got this heating element and it folds up and we're going through all the features. He goes, well, I know what it is, but I'm telling you is you don't know what you have here. And I'm like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> and he went on to say that he's been, he was trying to develop something similar to that, uh, for many years. They were on a real unique, uh, perch bite, uh, in the upper peninsula of Michigan where it required you to spread out lines and uh, run these dead stick rods. It was the only way to catch these uh, giant perch. So they were trying to make what he called a, a hole heater. Um, and he looked at that and he said, this is, this is exactly, you know, what we need. We've, uh, we've, we've failed at it pretty bad. And, and this is, this is brilliant. Uh, so that was, um, that was my break. And I started working with him from, from that point on and, uh, that's what led me into rods, actually. Um, the whole heater was just one part of the system that he needed to catch these fish. The other was a very technique-specific type of rod. So he was using uh, some production rods then, and they were kind of working, but there was a lot of things that, that he would change. And he said, hey, do you think you can build a, a fishing rod, too? Uh, that would really complete this system. You got the whole heater or hot box, as we call it. You have that perfected. This thing is absolutely incredible. Uh, but really to complete the system, uh, to do what we needed to do requires this type of rod. And I'll, I'll tell you what the specifications are and what it needs, needs to do. Um, if you can uh, do that. And I said, yeah, I can, I can do that. I drove away and thought to myself, now, how in the hell am I going to do this one? <laughs> I just, I just told, I just told a Hall of Fame angler and really my, my idol that I can do something that I have no idea how to do this. What, what the heck was I thinking? I'm driving all the way home from the UP, just kind of slamming my head into the dash going, what the heck have you done to yourself? And, uh, you know, being from, uh, from an engineering, um, family, of course, I looked to my dad and problems like this and he said, well, you know, let's, let's get to researching. I'm, I'm certain that we can figure it out. It's, you know, it's just like anything else. There, there's a process and there's, you know, a science to it. And, um, I know materials, uh, being my dad, he's very good with materials. He's, 
you know, a lifelong engineer at the, uh, the Toro company who builds lawnmowers and he's got 16 world patents to his name. So just, just really, really, really a, a brilliant engineer. He just said, yeah, we can figure that out. And, uh, him and I just started researching and became self-taught and I uh, just started sourcing some components and sanding down blanks and, uh, developing, uh, load curves, which is the bend of the rod and putting together prototypes. And I would bring them back to Gary and he would say, yeah, you know, you got to tweak this and you got to do that. And this worked and that didn't. Um, so through that process, which was long and painful, a lot, a lot of hours and a lot of tinkering. And, um, we came up with our, our very first rod that we call the snare rod now. And that, um, that's really taken the market by storm. It, it's unique. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a technique specific type of rod where, where there is no other. Um, and that's, that's really our mission, you know, to create something that, that doesn't exist. I mean, that, that's what drives us. That's what we look to do on every one of our designs. So that snare rod, I mean, I've literally sold thousands of them now over the last uh, five or six years, um, was our, was our very first rod. But through that, we learned that we learned the process. And once you learn how to make one, you can make any of them. So that's, that's how that all started. That is awesome because I watched your video on your YouTube channel, which I recommend everybody to go out there and subscribe because it's, it's got, a, it's got a, a lot of positive information. And I watched that go off and I was watching that rod bend and, and how it get, how you get to let it set and like, cause I am an idiot when it comes down to ice fishing because it's like I have no ice fishing gear, nothing like that. It's like I don't, I mostly do open water fishing because fact of the matter is I live in an apartment. I don't have the whole lot of room to store that much more of equipment. So it's like I had to make a decision. So it's like open water ice fishing. So I think I, I made a decent choice with the open water because that's the wife likes to do open water fishing. So when it comes down to it, because she doesn't like the cold. So <laughs> I had to, I had to, I had to compromise, but I, I got a, I got lucky with my wife because she likes to hunt and fish and such but that's pretty impressive then it's like how it all came to to, to be to, to meet some of your idols and such that's just fantastic like i have i get to like one of my biggest idols is like steve Rinell, and i got a chance to meet him a couple of years ago here in lacrosse when he was giving a lecture at the local college and and uh yas patelis to doug doug dern and and patrick dirk and these are all kind of like relative celebrities here in wisconsin when it comes down to outdoor hunting as for fishing it's like I I was at the uh, the open the you know, cross open here for uh, uh, the um, Bass Masters Elite Series and I never got a chance to meet Kevin Van Dam because he was here he performed didn't perform the best I mean he ended up with like at thirty three but it was tough when they came and performed because it's like it started it's like uh, right at the very beginning of the tournament it started raining and as it got and as as the week went on it rose over th- uh, three feet so where they were throwing at the day before. It's not going to be the same the next day afterwards because it just rose so fast. And the amount of pike and the snakeheads we have here, they were just having trouble with them. My wife was telling me that the people, the, the, the people from the tournament coming into Gander Outdoors when it was open, it's like they were just flooding in here because their biggest complaint was the pikes were biting off of everything. It's like, it's a difficult thing to compete with because Lake Alaska is, is known for some good, well, uh, uh, really known for Good bass fishing. They're not coming this year, but they'll be back up here next year on the rotation and such. And it's always, it's always who this year they have, um, Huck, um, kayak fishing term coming up in August. So hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll still be open for them to, to do so. But that's a one man sport anyways, but it's just, it's just fun to watch these guys do it and like watching Isman Rowe and everybody else do that. So that's how you, so then so you started with the ice fishing. Then what got you into open water fishing? 
Yeah, and as I explained, I mean, once you once you learn the process on on one rod. Hello, we're at the 2020 ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year um you start to find different different sources and and you know how to design and, and develop and things become a little bit easier and um how it transferred over to the open water side is i'm, I'm a tournament angler myself I, I fished the aim pro walleye series um there were certain uh, rods that that didn't exist uh for me so it really became a, a need thing I, I really started designing you know rods that would that would fit my needs uh, so really I built my first uh, open water rod, which was called the seven one JTX. And, uh, that was for my own, my own personal needs. And, um, that, that's my number one seller for us to, to this day. It's, it's probably one of our most, most popular open water rods. So I, I did it for myself to fill, to fill that void where, where the market just didn't have that type of rod that I, that I needed or it just wasn't perfected, you know, quite right to, um, to the technique that I was using. So that, that's how that happened. And then from there, I had just a lot of people approach me, you know, asking for, for different designs or, or tweaking a, a current design to, to make it better. And then I, I started adding pro staff and I've been super fortunate with the, with the different ads that I've had. Uh, you, you mentioned Chris Granroot. He's our, uh, he's our sales director and, uh, marketing manager and, He's a, he's a long time guide. He runs the busiest guide service in the whole state of Minnesota. He has nine licensed captains. He's up on, on Rainy Lake. Um, so we have, we have influence from guides like himself. We have a uh, hall of fame anglers, as I've mentioned. We have a ton of tournament anglers. We have other very recognized guides. So the benefit of having those kind of people around you, um, is the influence on design. So we can put together prototypes and understand needs through through that kind of team really better better than anybody. I mean, a product is only going to be as good as its designers, uh, and we believe in in, in testing. We we test things heavily. Uh, most of the stuff that I try never never sees the light of day and never comes to market because it just didn't quite work out the way I wanted to. So every product that we have goes through a minimum of one a one year testing period. And the benefit of having that kind of uh, caliber of anglers on our staff 
you know, that are on the water literally, you know, daily, these people make a living in fishing, you can really run it through his paces. So that way I'm not having the consumer um, really be our, our guinea pig or our, our, um, our testing source. Uh, that's all done through our team. So really it's, it's just the strength of a team, you know, and having, having people that I can, I can rely on that are, that are at the pinnacle of their, of their careers. That's, that's the best thing about it. When you build a good successful team, that's what, that's what takes you to the next stop. Now, when you, you were mentioned about like all your product testing, like what do you look for materials? Like, cause I know you use the, the Toroi, um, carbon fiber, but you, you, what, um, when you, when you're looking at all these different, um, materials you can use, what makes you, made you decide to go with Toroi, uh, carbon fiber there? Yeah, so the, the, the Torre fibers is a Japanese fiber and it's, um, if you research it and the, the people that are, that are real nerdy with, 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 uh, carbon fibers, uh, Torre is the leader, hands down. I mean, no, nobody's been able to, to reach the technology level that, that they have. I mean, if you look at Torre, uh, Japan, it's, it's like the 3M of, 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 of here. Uh, they're just a, a mega company and they, they specialize in, in textiles and, um, they just do it better than anybody. I mean, there, there's nobody that's, that's going to touch the advancements of, of what Tori has been able to do. Um, so with the need to build a, a high end technique specific rod that gives the angler an advantage, um, there can't be any second rate materials at all. It has to be the best. So that's, that's what goes into the blanks. Um, the blank is super important because that's what, that's what transfers the feel back to your hand. So if you go with, uh, you know, with a medium quality blank and you put the best guides and handle components on it, you have, uh, you have an average or maybe slightly better than average rod, you know, and that, that's just not, that's not good enough for what our, our mission is and what we're trying to do. Um, so we source the best carbon fibers, um, available in the world and that's where they, that's where they come from. And then from there, we look to uh, use the, the best guides we possibly can, the best handle parts, um, you know, everything right down to the, the thread wraps. I mean, I, I personally source every single last last component. And, you know, I make sure that it's uh, all the premium stuff. So we, we spare no, no expense. That makes sense because I was looking at their website today and they're really special. They're doing a lot of work with the um, space. And there's been yep. a lot of new development in space travel because like they want to make like their the rockets lighter, especially with SpaceX really um, paving the way and having return flights coming back in there, creating different payloads and like how all that stuff works out. And like I was watching a report today where they're talking that they want to go on the moon, mine some of these lakes, but what they'll do is they'll use these rovers that will they'll ionize the 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 water and the material, and that's how they'll ship it back to us. And then they also then there's a couple of different companies that want to reproduce these smaller satellites, but they want to release more of them over there to to create a bigger web of uh, um, radio waves and such like that. And it's like I was always want, like it kind of got me thinking about like well, how is that going to affect the fish and the deer and, and the and the wildlife when we start increasing EMF waves. I mean, I don't know if you're if you have any say in that or any knowledge in that. I mean, that, um, that's my one of my next. That's one of my next. Uh, big conversations I want to have with somebody is like talking about like how EMFs will affect fishing and wildlife. Yeah. Not, not something I really know, know anything about, but I mean, it, it sounds definitely sounds, sounds interesting. 
Well, with the, with the study with the EMFs, they've been doing studies with that with the military for over 50, 60 years. And as the EMFs get bigger and stronger and stronger, the more damage it does to the human body. Like it causes an increase of cancer and, stuff and such, uh, brainwaves, headaches, lethargia. Um, um, migraines and such because of those right there. And it's, it's a very dangerous tool. There's a, there's a doctor down in uh, Rochester. His name's Thaddeus, Dr. Thaddeus Owens. And he's been on a couple of podcasts. Guy knows his stuff. And he was talking about 5G and like and discussing like the military stopped doing t- tests after 2G because of how much damage it will do to the human, uh, the body. And it's like, I just want to know what it's like, probably why we're having an issue with our bees and such. Anyways, it's like, uh, now, with the materials that you use for your ice fishing, isn't I heard you use it's use guys a use a proprietary blend of titanium and a couple different other minerals too. Yeah, so that's um, those are going to be the the line guides. Um, we use a, it's a nickel titanium type of, of line guide, and they're and they're really unique because uh, this blend has a has a rebounding uh, property. So it's an actually a line guide that you can you can flatten right down to the the blank and, and deform it. And it'll always bounce right back into shape. So it's, it, that's a, that's a benefit that it, it, it bounces back because you can snap the ice off of that guide. Um, and it's, it's super light. So the ice fishing rods are really about trying to, you know, create the lightest rod possible. So the lighter the rod is, uh, the less weight that you're having to hold up in your hand to try to balance, uh, the better feel you're going to get. So the lighter it is and the better balance, uh, the more feel. So when you use a high-end carbon fiber blank, it transfers energy, so the bite, very, very well. And then coupling that with being very, very light, so you're not trying to hold up that that weight, uh, gives you the ultimate feel. So it's a combination of those of those guides, those those unique um, guides, and then um, our proprietary carbon fiber uh, blanks that that we manufacture specific to uh, JTO Robotics. So. Uh, it's a combination of of all those things, and then then handle parts. Handles are important. That's what you're that's what you're holding. Uh, we have a proprietary uh, handle that we use called SureGrip. Uh, it's, it's actually a, it's a copolymer a blend. It'll feel a lot like a, a like a golf grip, so mm-hmm. it's real tacky. It stays uh, stays tacky in sub zero temperatures. It's just it's really a, a nice feel. So um, so yeah, a lot of a lot, of, a lot of things to it, so a lot, a lot more than, than meets the eye. And with the your carbon fiber rods, are they hollow then, or are they one solid piece of material? Uh, so ice rods are are solid, so that's a that's a solid um, shaft of of carbon fiber uh, that that's shaped. Um, so the shape of it is what gives it the uh, the load curve. So how you shape it affects the way it bends, and that it affects the the power. But that starts as a as a solid um, cylinder. But summer rods um, are hollow. Okay, so, they're, so that- they're actually wrapped through multiple layers. They're wrapped onto a, a mandrel. Um, a mandrel is a very very specialized uh, piece of tooling um, that that's unique. So the mandrel is what actually um, creates the the power and the the shape of that of that bend. So the mandrel is the is the magic within within summer blanks and then it's a series of carbon fiber wraps with uh, uh, certain types of resin in between them um, there's some computer analysis that goes that goes into it to um, 
uh, provide the strength where, where it's needed. Um, different, there's different types of blends in certain areas of the blank. Um, it's all analyzed through the, through the load curve of that rod and identifying where the forces are. And so it's, it's, it's real, real scientific, uh, for summer blanks, especially. Okay, that makes sense. Cause I, uh, before I started where I'm at today is that I worked in Stewartville and Lacrosse and doing poltrusion work with, uh, different types of devices that way with, um, carbon or fiberglass and that whole thing right there and working with polymers and resins and all that fun stuff. And it's always, it's like I, would work, I was very lucky. I worked on a particular line that I got to work with all the science with it and how you'd pull the, the glass through the, the, the resin through the, gu- the, yeah, the guide and then how, with the final product and like getting the spare mode of that stuff. Like it really, it really turned me on when it came down to that because I liked like, well, what if we do this and what if we add this and take this out and we thin this out? And it's like, it was just fun. So it's like, so that's, I was always wondered how. The, the rod was made and it's like, it's, it's wool, it's, it's, it's rolled, isn't it? Is that what I'm basically understanding? Yep. It's I'm, rolled under, under high pressure and, and, and it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of different layers. Uh, and then the resins are actually bonding the different layers of, of carbon fiber and then it's rolled under, under extreme high pressure, millions of pounds of, mo- of modulus is what it's called. And to get a really a high end blank like that, it requires, um, good materials, good carbon fiber, um, good resins. Uh, but then also, um, roll that extremely high pressures. So the higher that you roll that, uh, the less void there is in between layers and in between, um, resins. So if you can create the least amount of void possible in that whole entire process, uh, the better blank you're going to have and the more transfer of, of, of energy and feel. That's awesome. Sounds like your rods rarely snap. Their carbon fibers are, are very strong in, in certain directions. Uh, the good part is they're very, very strong in, in a, in a fishing motion where carbon fibers don't do too well, um, is from human air, uh, impacts. So that's, that's where you could have problems. Our, our, our warranty rates are extremely low. Uh, we do a ton of testing. Um, I personally look at every single rod that, that goes out of here. Uh, all of our, all of our assembly work is done, uh, right here in Farmington. Uh, right here at my shop, um, the blanks when they're when they are manufactured have a five point inspection. I do uh, an inspection prior to putting guides on and wrapping and assembling and putting handles on, and then a final inspection uh, before it goes out. So uh, we we weed out what's called defects. Uh, what the hard part is is understanding what a defect is and and uh, that from human error. So it's a high-end piece of equipment, and with any high-end piece of equipment, you have to use it right. Um, it's going to handle less human error than, say, an ugly stick <laughs> that's just designed <laughs> to be durable. But an ugly stick isn't going to do what what this kind of rod um, does. It, it's a, you know, it's a precision instrument. Um, but yes, very very strong if used correctly. If used incorrectly. Um, there is, there is some weaknesses to carbon fiber and that's impacts. And when I talk about impacts, you're talking about a perpendicular hit. So if you mm-hmm. have objects that roll over it and give you that perpendicular hit, you're going to bruise that blank. You're going to, you're going to break the carbon fibers. And then when you go to, when you go to cast or set the hook, um, there's a risk that the blank could break because of that object broke the fibers within. And sometimes people seem to think that that's a defect and we look at it and we go, well, you know, it's crushed. 
but we do have we do have a really really good warranty um, process. Um, we have what's called an accident. We have we have a one year um, typical warranty that you find with any fishing rod company. So within that one year, if anything happens, we're going to look at it. And if it's failure uh, because it's something that we did, we're going to cover that 100. percent But even outside of that, we have what's called an accident replacement. So for the guy that you know, does the old car door trick or has the <laughs> screen door slam on it or slams the rod locker. There, there's a thousand ways to, to break a, a high end rod. Oh, yes. Uh, we have a, we have what's called an accident replacement uh, program. And that's, uh, it's a kind of a meet in the middle, uh, system where, um, I will cover that rod at just my, at just my cost. So, um, we need the labor on that. And the nice part about it is we, We'll take that rod that you, you fill it out online. We'll take the brand new rod. We'll put it in the tube. Uh, we'll send it to the person. They take the new rod out. They drop the broken one in and we provide a return label. And then it, uh, it comes back to us. So people don't have to chase all over town, but trying to find an appropriate shipping tube and, uh, find the local FedEx drop off spot that never seems to be open when you want it to be. <laughs> so we, uh, we handle all of that, all that kind of headache. Uh, there is a cost to it, but it's um, it's less than 50% of the original. So people are very, very appreciative of the accident replacement warranty we have. That is a good benefit, right? Because last spring, a uh, guy I was fishing with, he goes to back to cast and he strikes one of the poles that anchors the lake or river or the houseboat and just snaps it right in half. It's like, I know exactly what you're talking about when that happens. And they're like, oh, yeah. man. I myself not would have not done it, but I'm very particular. I mean, I watch, I pay attention to the, to the, the tip, and, and that's about it when I'm walking with it because it's like if that tip breaks, then it's like it just, it just, it's just downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, you know, and it happens to, to the best of us, you know, but it's, um, you know, it's a way to keep your, your customers accountable and, um, we don't we don't want to have to raise our prices, assuming that everyone's gonna be reckless and break a few few rods. And I don't I don't have that built into our our cost structure. So uh, we've we've been we've been fortunate. I mean, most of our warranty rates are less than one percent, and the warranties we get most of the time it's uh, accident replacement. So our our actual what you would call a defect um, is extremely low. It's it's a very rare. That's very awesome. Rare that we see an actual defect where it comes back and says, yeah. That one just failed. Um, you know, you can never claim zero, but uh, we're trying to get as close to that as we possibly can. That's fantastic to hear because I want that with all the information we just downloaded there. It's like I, now it gets me into my next topic about technique specific rods. And it's like I heard that mentioned on several of your videos. And it's like I have no idea what that means because I'm a layman when it comes down to that elite style of fishing. Can you, can you give me a breakdown of that? Yeah. And that's, um, You'll, you'll, you'll see that a lot in our marketing. You'll, you'll hear that a lot. You, you, you picked up on it. Um, it, it's really designing a rod, uh, to meet a, a specific need. Um, and the specific need would be, uh, a, a type of fishing or a type of bait or a type of weight of a, of a lure. Um, so think of the snare rod, for example. Um, that's a dead stick rod. That, that's a rod that you're going to leave in a rod holder. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna let the the rod do its its job. Now that's a that's a technique. Dead sticking is a very very spe- specific technique. Now you can't just dead stick with any type of a rod because it just it physically is not gonna work. 
So there's certain performance characteristics to make that rod perform the way it is. So our snare rod needs to be a certain length. There's got to be enough rod length there to get enough load curve. And then it has to be a very, very slow action. Uh, it's, it's really, really opposite of what everybody looks for these extra fast action rods. Now, extra fast action rods do have, you know, a specific time and place. For a dead stick, it's exactly opposite of what you want. So back to the technique specific part is we developed that rod specific to the dead to dead sticking, which is a technique. And then we, we use that throughout our entire lineup. You know, in the summer rods, it might be, uh, it might be running a, a live bait rig. Uh, that's what our 7-1 JTX is. Now, that's a very specific technique. Now, I, de- I designed and developed that rod specifically for running live, live bait rigs. Uh, we, have, we have other rods in our lineup, say our Ascendant trolling rod. That's designed specifically for the technique of trolling lead core. So that's, that's where those rods shine. So we're not trying to build a Swiss Army knife where our rods are just okay. For a bunch of different things, we're trying to design them to be the best at a given technique. That makes perfect sense to me because, like, when you go to Walmart, you go to Dick's, or go everywhere, you buy a, a, a higher end, low model. Well, I guess you would want to call it. like it's not you're not spending three to five hundred dollars on the rod. You're looking at maybe a hundred to maybe two hundred. Like they're more of like a, a Swiss Army knife because like I have a couple of rods here that I catch everything on, and it's like it's, but it's not specific enough where it's not it's not sensitive enough of if I'm going crappie fishing or if it's or if it's too heavy or it's not heavy enough for if I'm going catfish fishing, you know, or if I'm going musky fishing. I, I get it now with all that. Uh, and then I also heard him talk about an aggressive presentation. I'm not sh- I'm not sure how that breaks down uh, from the fishing aggressive. world. Aggressive presentation. He was talking about with um, Chris Grenrude Gren- Gren- and uh, yep. Yeah. He mentioned that yeah, a couple. So, okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to know, you know, what, what, the, what the particular um, video was, but you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, an aggressive presentation could be like throwing uh, a rip and wrap, for example. There we go. That's what he was referring to. That technique, that type of lure. Yeah, you know, it's it's an aggressive, you know, approach. It's um, a lot of times it's, um, you know, you're 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 triggering that bite through through a, a reaction. It's a reactionary, you know, type of bite. Now we make a, a rod specific to that. If, if I'm going to throw a, if I'm going to throw a, a rip and wrap. Or a bigger paddle, paddle tail. I'm going to grab this the seven three black rain. It's an extra fast tip. Extra fast is, is really good on that reactionary type of bite. Um, they 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 grab it. A lot of times they don't they don't have it the best because it's you know it's 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 moving uh, moving a hundred miles an hour and it can be in current and it's you know rattling and darting all over like crazy. So when that fish grabs it, you have a very very limited amount of time to get a good hook in that fish. So you really want an extra fast tip. When I say extra fast, that means that when I go to set the hook, I don't have to move very far and it's into backbone. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a very very fast action. You start bending the tip and it 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 goes into the the meat of the rod very quick. So that would be that'd be a very uh, aggressive um, type of presentation where where that rod would be a, a very good fit. I get that makes perfect sense here. And then. 
I was looking at like the Tennessee handles, and I, I came across a question in mind that's like, when you're temporarily placing a reel, like how would you secure a a reel as temporarily to find that balance to a Tennessee handle? Yeah, and that's um that's something that we're 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 just getting into here now. I, I released our Tennessee handle on my long rods last year, and uh, very surprised at the at the demand of that. I thought it'd be a, a lot smaller um, niche there, but that's, uh, that, that is really growing in, in popularity. And the, the benefits to that Tennessee handle, um, is the fact that you can put any type of reel on that rod and really balance out, balance out the rod. So now as a rod manufacturer, I have to look at a design of a, when I use a traditional handle where it screws into a set place. Now I have to basically make the best educated guess I can on what the most common size uh, weight and reel is going to be, really the weight of it. I have to say, okay, I'm building a 610. Uh, in in my mind, a 610 is going to be perfect for a 2500 size reel. And now that 2500 size reel is going to have a, a, a range of, of weights depending on the manufacturer. So when I go to do my guide layout, my handle placement, I have to assume that the bulk of the people are going to use that size reel that has that associated weight. Now I'm balancing the rod accordingly, having to make that educated guess. Balance of a rod is very, very important to feel. So if a rod isn't balanced, let's say you grab a rod with a reel on it and that tip just falls down. That means as you're fishing, you're having to exert some energy to physically hold that rod up. Now having to do that, whether people realize it or not, takes away from feel. Now, if that rod can just balance in your hand and you don't have to exert any energy at all, it could rest on your finger. It's like holding no weight at all. There's no extra resistance there, period. So the bite is going to be, or the feel is going to be much better with a balanced rod versus a rod that isn't balanced. Now, how this works with the Tennessee and one of the advantages, going back to your original question, with that Tennessee type of handle, I can take a wide variety of rods. I could take a 1500 size reel up to a 3500 size reel. I can just adjust it along that Tennessee handle and tape that reel on wherever I wanted uh, to balance that particular rod. So you get a ton of benefit there in being able to make that adjustment to achieve balance. Now we, uh, we make a special tape called the Sure Grip Tape. Again, it's that golf grip. Um, type of feel. Um, so you would, uh, you would secure the reel to that Tennessee handle with that tape. Now that is the downfall. You end up having to tape a reel on. It's not as fast. It's not as easy to switch your reels out on the fly. But for the person that's really looking to get that little bit of extra advantage, a lot of times in a tournament, it's that, it's those slight little details that, you know, puts, puts one person ahead of the next. Uh, guys looking for that extra advantage. Being able to balance uh, that rod with a wide variety of reels or whatever your reel of choice is is really a key thing. That makes makes sense to me. You said you're going now. This we're we're, we're beginning the tournament season here, and you you professionally uh, angle. What's what's what uh, tournament uh, do you participate in? The tournament series, I'd say. Yeah, so I fish uh, what's called the AIM Pro Walleye Series, and the AIM is is very unique. Uh, really a, a cutting edge uh, format that I truly believe is going to 
is going to take over the this format that they utilize. I think will take over uh, all tournaments eventually. Um, so what's unique about it is it's a it's a photo uh, catch, record, and release. Uh, so that's that's what makes it unique in the in the walleye world, uh, particularly in Minnesota. You're starting to see it a lot in Wisconsin. Um, there's a lot of restrictions. So Minnesota has a has a regulation statewide that only allows one fish over 20 inches. So now when you think about a traditional, you know, type of walleye tournament in the state of Minnesota, uh, with that type of regulation, it, it really affects, you know, who wins or, or loses. Uh, it might not necessarily be uh, the person that caught the biggest fish on that day that wins. It's the person that caught the fish in the right order. Uh, and those slot tournaments, those 19 and three quarter inch fish become gold. The guy that caught a whole bunch of fish over 20 inches and actually caught bigger fish, bigger fish are harder to catch too, um, might not win. He might not even place because he didn't catch the fish in the right order or that magic sizing. So AIM um, eliminates this entire problem. So what they do is they do catch, record, release, and it's um, it's a standardized um, formula. So everybody's under the same playing field uh, at the beginning of the of the day, what we get is a, a standardized bump board. So everybody has the same type of measuring tool. They have the same type of scorecard, which has the same conversion measurements on it. And the way the process works is when you, when you catch a fish, uh, you have to lay it on the scale a certain way and you have to take a picture of that fish that shows the length. So it's real critical that that picture is taken correctly or that fish is thrown out. So you got to see the nose of that fish. Touching the front of the bump board, and you have to see the tail where it falls um, onto the ruler. And then you take that uh, that weight and you apply it to the scorecard. And everybody leaves the day with a with a scorecard piece of paper that that has a conversion on there. Now you take your five best fish, and that's your weight for the day. And then they're all analyzed uh, through those those photographs. And then the winners have to be certified and. There's a lot of controls in place. Uh, for example, first, um, first, second, or first, third, and fifth, some some order like that, first place for sure, um, actually goes through a, a lie detector test. So, you know, I would argue that there's less opportunity to, to cheat in the aim than any other circuit. Um, wow. Because what happens and can happen, you know, in, in uh, call tournaments, uh, there's a lot of state rules that say once a walleye goes into your live well, it can't be returned. So where some issues could come into place is, let's say you're you're fishing a weigh tournament and you have almost a, a full live well full of fish, but you catch a bigger one, you can't really replace that one in certain areas. Now, if you do and you take that smaller fish that was swimming in the live well for some period of time that you're bound by state rules to have to keep in there because it already went in the live well and you replace that, that would technically be a violation. That's insane. Like now what is the payout for the aim series? Uh, it depends on, um, on what type of tournament it is. So the way that the aim series works, um, it's, you have uh, single day events and then you have a state championship. Now there's mm -hmm. three different regions. Uh, there's Minnesota, uh, North Dakota and Wisconsin. So you fish, uh, four uh, regular day events 
So one day events, and then you fish a two day state championship. Now the combination of, of all of those, um, is accumulative points. So you take the best three of your four single day with the, uh, combination of the state uh, championship, and that'll qualify you for what's called the national championship. Now in the individual one day events, the payouts are generally around, uh, around the $8,000 mark if it's a full field. Um, it's growing in popularity. So generally in Minnesota, we're, we're almost always filling out the popular destinations like Leech Lake and Mille Lacs. They're, um, they're filled up almost right away. There's people on a waiting list normally. So they do a good job of filling them. And then the state championship would, would, would pay more than that on the two day. But the really the grand prize is what's called the national championship that you can qualify for, uh, by being in the top 10 of those accumulative points that I've mentioned. Now in the state champion or the national championship, uh, you can win a warrior boat uh, valued at 65,000. Wow. That's, a, that's impressive. Yeah. So the payouts are, are great. Um, and it's only the top 10 from each region. So it's only 30 boats coming together. So to have, to have 30 boats competing for a purse of 65,000 is, is one of the, the highest, um, the highest payouts in walleye fishing. That's insane. Per, per the amount of per the amount of anglers. Now the National Walleye Tour will pay out a, a, a greater amount, but there'll be you know a hundred plus boats in that. So makes so things the, very the challenging. Ratio, yep. So the ratio of um, anglers to the purse size is the is is the largest there is. Makes sense. Now, how long have you been fishing the series? Uh, this will be my. Will be now my uh, sixth year, yeah, and we're uh, we qualified for our third national championship this year, so we've made it uh, three years in a row now, and being in the top ten in uh, in Minnesota. That's fantastic! Congratulations, man, because that's no easy feat. Because I was listening to uh, the SmackDown podcast with um, D- uh, Doug uh, Gliverbeam, and he was talking about um, the Ames Circuit too, and it's like it is extremely challenging and getting there early and budgeting for your 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 gas and your boat and and having preparing for issues that can go that can go wrong. You know, it's like it's it's very stressful and highly competitive. Yeah, he was interviewing uh, my tournament partner with my tournament partner or the guys that I team with. Uh, his uh, name's Tyler Wolden, so that's uh, he's on my team for for AIM. That's awesome, man. I, that's pretty sweet. And then, but um, I, there was a I had a guest on previously. His name's Chad Anderson. He got to compete in the Cat Masters tournament, and that tournament brought in two hundred ninety three boats. The the overall prize value was one hundred and forty six thousand dollars, and they paid out for the top sixteen. And only ninety boats caught something. It was wow. <laughs> it was it was a very difficult uh, tournament to catch in, and they they were plagued with issues from from the, as soon as they launched their boat with electrical issues, brand new twenty nineteen boat, and just nothing but issues. Like that gives me and just like the luckily the tournament was sponsored by the same boat they had and so they had, they had text there and it's like man that doesn't that doesn't give you a warm fuzzy feeling after dropping like 15 to 20 grand into a used boat let alone like a thirty thousand dollar boat that's had just about played with issues but it's like yeah that's, that's pretty neat though now then i take it your your final overall goal is to get that big uh tournament uh was it not you got nationals and what's the then there's world series right uh, there's a there's a state uh, championship and then the national championship. So in the AIM Pro Series, we, we've qualified for the highest level that that you can w- within within this. 
Um, mm-hmm. The next step um, within tournament walleye fishing would be fishing on the national level. Okay, national. It's called the uh, national walleye tour. There's there's higher payouts. Um, there's there's more competitors. Um, it, it's different though. The format's different. Um, I've really fallen in love with uh, with Ames' philosophy. Um, all fish get released immediately. Um, you're you're rewarding uh, people based on on the biggest fish caught. Um, that's the that's the way the uh, the payouts are. The the way that you're um, the way you finish is based on on big fish catches. Um, and the NWT isn't isn't there yet. Uh, they're still doing uh, live weigh-ins. So it's uh, if you're if you're in a restricted state like Minnesota, it's going to be the one fish over 20 inches, and then it's going to be trying to get those those fish right in that that right slot, slot yeah. you know, pushing pushing up next to that 19 and three quarters. So, um, you know, for for example, when we go to um, Lax, um, we're we're looking for fish five fish over you know 28 inches. I mean, that's that's what it takes to win there. Now, if the NWT came there. They would catch 128 and then they would have to go fish for smaller fish. And because you just, you physically couldn't, uh, you, you can't keep more, more than one fish over 20 inches. So it, it's mm-hmm. a whole different philosophy. It's a different approach. Um, I like fishing for big fish. I think big fish are harder to catch. I think it's, uh, more challenging and I think it's more of a, more of a true winner in the aim format. Uh, so I'm, I'm obviously a huge fan of it. Um, I, I just, I think, I think more tournaments are, are going to go this way. Um, I think so too. I like that philosophy. Yeah. I mean, every, you know, the, the survival rate is, is better. I mean, when you, when you bounce a fish around in the live well, you know, for an eight hour day, if I caught that fish in the first 10 minutes, it's going to be eight hours plus before I go weigh that fish in. Mm-hmm. Now the mortalities are much higher than catching that fish, throwing it out on bump board, taking a pick and having that back in and, uh, we get our fish back in the water in under a minute. That's fantastic. Cause I know bass fishing is like, I've heard some complaints about when a, when a bass master tournament comes in and leaves and like it messes up the whole ecosystem. The bass aren't the way they were. And it takes weeks for them to recover in the areas. Now you said you're talking about the national tournament. How, do you have to qualify again or do you just need to have the bigger bankroll to travel around to, to be in the national tour? Uh, you just got to have the money and the time, man. It's, uh, you gotta, you gotta pay to play. So the entry fees are, are much higher and the commitments are, are much greater. Uh, another nice uh, benefit to the AIM Pro Wally series, which I explained that, that I fish there. Uh, the regular day events or the single day events that lead up to the state championship, uh, they're on Sundays. Really a great thing for the working man of the world, uh, because if you get a crazy week, you don't get that Thursday and Friday off like you hope. The kids had activities, whatever it is, right? Everybody's busy. You can at least go on Saturday, which for most people, that's a, that's a normal day off for you. Mm-hmm. And at least get a solid day of practice in and be prepared for Sunday. Now, we generally leave on a Wednesday night for the single day and, and uh, we pre-fish. A Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, so we're, we're well prepared. But um, I've had situations where life just kind of got in the way, and I, I couldn't I couldn't get away on a Wednesday. And um, you're still able to to hold yourself in there. So it's really it's really geared for the working man that still wants to compete at a professional level. Um, with the NWT, they're always going to be on a Thursday and a Friday, so you need a lot of flexibility in your schedule. 
and you, you need to you need to be able to finance that situation because you're gonna you're gonna need you're gonna need I would say five plus days of practice to even be competitive. So now you're looking at every single event. You're going to take a whole week off, if not more. Um, some guys, some guys will prepare for two weeks for, for something like that. Um, so you got to be able to, you got to be able to finance, you know, all your lodging costs. The, uh, you're obviously not working when you're there. So you're, you're missing out on, on wages if you don't have paid time off. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's a different, it's a higher level of financial commitment. Sounds like it, but. And I take it you have to travel a lot more states too, because the aim is Wisconsin, North Dakota, Minnesota. National, I take it, goes from coast to coast. Um, they they do. They'll they'll be. I mean, they they'll have trip or not trip. They'll have um uh, tournaments on Lake Erie. So you're going to be over in, in Ohio. That's a common destination. Uh, Green Bay is a real common um, destination. Uh, there'll be uh, Missouri River in South Dakota. Uh, they'll get out to Skokwee in North Dakota. So they're they're traveling. Uh, they're traveling greater ranges, so the travel is uh, is more demanding as well. So um, the regional thing with the aim is good for me. I'm I'm always going to be in Minnesota. So unless we're fishing the the national championship, and then it's only it's only the one event. So that's it's more de- doable. I like that. It's that's that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I think we're like I want to wrap this up on one of my biggest compliments to you guys is like I was watching some of your videos and it's like. You were talking that you, some of the people were talking about that you can actually arrange um, hangouts or meetup times with your pro staff to try out your rods to to, to find out more and like get that one on one experience and actually have to get get a chance to to catch fish and that's something that it's that type of customer service is just not there. And, and yeah, and that's yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out there, Jeff. That that that's a big part of of who we are and, and what we believe in. So it's it's not a it's not a traditional. Um, type of sales models. Our our pro staff uh, generally will have uh, have rods for sale. The nice part about that is a lot of them are, are guides or tournament anglers, so they'll have they'll have people in the boat. So it truly is a a try before you buy situation. And a lot of our rods are are sold that way, where people got to use it for a day and use a couple different um, types of our rods uh, to figure out what's best for them. Um, no other company really, really does this. I mean, you walk into a, you walk into a box store and, uh, you can put that rod in your hand and try to do whatever you can to, um, understand how that's going to work on the water. But there's, you just can't replace, you know, time on the water. It's just, it's different. It's different when you tie a lure on there. You got, um, the forces of the water and the, you know, environment, uh, you know, affecting you. And it's, it, um, you really don't know when you walk out of that box store what you're exactly going to get the first day you, you lace that rod up. Mm-hmm. So this is very, very different when you can actually put that in your hand. I I know for me personally, I want to do that and meet some of your staff. And it's like, I think it'd be a lot of fun because I'm almost sold on the JTX mag, uh, medium light, the seven one. It's like, listen, my to baby. Cr- <laughs> listening to Chris and then like, and hearing from you that like, this was your bread and butter. And it's like, and I, th- and I think that'd be like, I want to try it. Cause I think that's like, once I try, I'm probably sure it's like I'm. It's going to be a goal set to purchase because I have a goal list that's like a page and a half long of different stuff that I want to accomplish. I don't put deadlines in it, but it's just stuff that I like. I go and I I look at every three months. Go back to it's like, well, I did this, did this, did this. I think I just added a new one on there to 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 do that. And it's like I think I, I'd like to get my old man because you know, like him and I do a lot of fishing. Like 
every year. It's like since he's been retired and we like, I make it a purpose to go out and hang out with him because 66 years old. And it's like, that's where we bond on. That's why I wanted to do a podcast series on fishing. Cause I want to learn more. So this way I could teach him, but he's got all this experience and stuff like that. And it's like, I just want him to like, to, to experience more things as retired. It's like, it's like time to spend some of the retirement money on stuff that's like you, you wouldn't think you'd normally get. And, uh, it's like this season we were, we were, we're supposed to be preparing for walleye opener in, Lake, Lake Okoboji this year. It went last year. Absolutely had a blast. Rained, drank a lot of alcohol, but it was a lot of fun though. It was because yeah. it's just like it's it's a group of seventeen to eighteen guys. They rent a bunch of rooms at a cabin area there, right off Okoboji, and they've been doing it for almost twenty years. Yeah, that's and a, that's a great tradition. We have some staff um, uh, on Okoboji. Um, great, great guys, and um, so we do we do have some representation down there. And, so yeah, we would love to get one of our rods in your hands. Um, love to get your get, get your feedback and uh, let us know what you think. Now, this next part I'm really excited about because this will be talking about the upcoming 2020 new rods that he's going to be releasing. And I thought that Joe needs to explain everything and get you excited about what's going to be releasing here in the next couple of weeks. Without further ado, I'll let him finish up the last bit. Yeah, so we have a we have a really unique bottom bouncer rod that I'm going to be releasing in the next two weeks. It's actually a telescoping rod, and um, no kidding, a telescoping rod. Yeah, I love so those. It's, it's my favorite thing to fish with. Yep, yep. So it's a nine foot two, and it telescopes out. And uh, the technique that that's designed for um, would be uh, rigs and bottom bouncing, and it's a uh, it's a it. We call that the summer snare rod. So we've taken the success of the winter snare rod that's taken the market by storm. Um, was featured in, in Fisherman magazine unsolicited. So it's, we've had a lot of accolades on, on that, on that snare rod. We've taken that concept to the summer. So that's, um, will be really beneficial in states where you can run multiple rods. So that'd be the, that'll be the second rod that you can leave in the rod holder and the way it's designed. Uh, you let the rod do the work. Really, you don't grab that rod until you see it's folded over and the fish is basically pinned up. Nine feet long. That's, that's really long. Yeah, nine foot two. So, what is that going to be ge- geared towards? That is that for like musky fishing or catfishing or? Uh, that's a that's going to be a walleye rod uh, primarily. Um, you could use it. You could use it for bass. There'll be applications for like smallmouth bass. Um, primarily a, a walleye rod. A lot of the stuff we do right now is geared towards that. Uh, granted, I do make a, a seven foot three medium heavy bait casting rod that's um, designed for the bass guys. Uh, they love that rod. Uh, it's in the mm-hmm. Black Rain series. Uh, and then uh, our 7-1 JTX is a very, very popular um, drop shot rod for the bass guys. You mentioned Jason Brennick. Um, he, he loved that rod, um, used it a lot for drop shot fishing. Um, you know, he's a very, very good bass angler and has done very, very well in a, a lot of high-end tournaments. So his, um, you know, his review means means a lot to us there. And, um, so that's, um, that's a good bass rod. So we do, we do offer some things for the, for the bass guys too. And that's something we're going to be expanding on a lot more. So you mentioned a new product and what I'm currently working on. I'm working on a whole line of, uh, of bass rods right now. And uh, hopefully by fall or into next year, I'll, I'll have a, a whole series of bass rods to add to what we already have. 
That's awesome. I, cause I pro staff for Bass Patrol Nation. And what it is, is it's a charity group that what we do is we try to go out and teach people and also try to perform. Like some, some people have the time to participate in tournaments and stuff to carry on the brand. But the whole thing is, is to, is to get, um, wounded soldiers, uh, out there in the water and have a way to relax and distress after they get back. And he's been running it for over a decade. He's out of, uh, Florida. He's a state policeman. He's just, Fantastic! I told him about the, this podcast, so he's gonna be advertising it to his uh, um, whole clan of people down there in the Florida area. Great, yeah, yeah. So it's like he's excited about this episode, but it's like listening to your bass uh, lineup is like that's pretty exciting because I like fishing for bass, but it's like I like northern fishing, man. Northern fishing is so much fun. Absolutely, yep. It's uh, hard to beat the fight of a of a good pike. I even I was fishing for bass here two years ago, and I was using just a, just a simple jig and. I bass struck or a uh, pike struck on it, launched him straight out of the air. I mean, he hit it just so rap or so ferociously, completely out of the water, dropped back in, brought him in. It's like it's like you you can never forget that flight when you catch a fish that just goes airborne. <laughs> yeah, they certainly are unique, and it's a radical radical fight, and they're they're, they're certainly certainly fun to, to haul in. All right then, well, you Joe, thank you for. Hanging out with me tonight, man. It was a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm glad I got to spend the time, like all day long, just researching your company and learning about what you guys start from, and like learning about the hot box. And it's like I have a lot of friends of mine down here in, in Lacrosse has never even heard of that. And it's like I'm gonna tell them about it because they 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 do a lot of ice fishing, and it's like I think it'd be a good fit for a lot of people in the area. And I think that would be a great product to get into like the ace down here in Lacrosse because that's right around the good price tag for it. And I think it'd be a good partnership for that one because I mean we we. They host two tournaments or three tournaments here on on the ice and lacrosse, depending on depending on the year, of course. So, anyways, absolutely. Well, we'd love that opportunity, and uh, certainly appreciate uh, you having me on. And it was a real real pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, I had fun. So now, folks, their next podcast will be about rain systems, and that will be out shortly down the road. So, thank you for everybody tuning in. You guys have a great night. Thanks, Jeff. And be sure, folks, to go and subscribe to my podcast on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And please rate and review. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you.